This is a recording made in the chapel of the opened book. The covering title of this series is Short Studies for Young People and this is number 35 of the series and we are dealing still with various aspects of truth in the Gospel according to John. Now those of you who are listening to this tape recording uh, I would like you to get a sheet of paper and a pencil or a pen and that may mean that you'll have to search for it. Well, you switch off for a minute and find the sheet of paper and the pencil. Well, now I hope you've done it. We're back again. Because on the board, I've just got a little outline that we are not able to supply to you. So you might as well have the benefit of it. And uh, on this sheet of paper, you will write on the top of the sheet of paper just the words, I am. They are the words we're going to consider. And then, if you will write, first of all, the word Messiah. That will be John 4.26. Then miss a space about two inches and write the word Deity. And that is John 8.58. And then another two inches and write at the bottom, Life. And that is chapter 11.25. Now, fill in the two spaces by putting bread, and light, we'll get the references presently, in one, and then the next space, fill in the door and the shepherd. Well, that will just give you a little pattern of the way in which we're going to speak about these references in John's Gospel under the statement, I am. Now, the first one is in John, the fourth chapter. Now the Saviour is speaking to a woman at Samaria and she's been discussing various questions with him. Uh, When he reminded her that he knew all about her married life and she'd had five husbands and the one she was living with was not his husband, she said, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now, I don't want to do that woman injustice. She may be genuinely interested. But you know, when you've got a little bit of a guilty conscience, you like to turn the subject to something else, don't you? And she knew that if she, a Samaritan, was speaking to a Jew, the thing to start off a proper argument would be to discuss Samaria as over against Jerusalem. So we'll give her the benefit of the doubt. We say, well, she might have been genuinely interested. But on the other hand, she didn't didn't want him to probe too deeply about these five husbands and all the others, you see. And so she said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now what do you say? Jesus said unto the woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Oh, that was another. He didn't take sides. Oh, he said, there's something even deeper and vaster. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, the salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now think of this. He was visited in chapter 3 by Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, not merely a teacher, he was given that distinctive title. And Christ discussed with the teacher of Israel, the necessity to be born again. 
And Christ discussed with a poor, abandoned woman of Samaria the nature and being of God. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Isn't it extraordinary? Of course, he knew what was in that. So when Nicodemus came with the patronizing air and said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher sent from God, Jesus answered him, but there's no answer to anything he said. It was the answer to that which was down underneath that was prompting all that camouflage. So here we have, God is spirit. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. That was a probing, a sort of a, a leading question. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. So I put down on the first of this series that Christ claimed, I am the Messiah. Now if you go to the last chapter but one of John's Gospel, you'll see why that is important. John 20. Verse 29, Jesus said unto them, uh, sorry, verse 30, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Messiah. He was the Messiah. Now why should it be important that he should be believed as the Messiah? The Son of God, and that believing you might have life, through his name. Life is the burden of John's Gospel. It doesn't tell you what your calling is. You're not sure whether you're going to be on earth or heaven or where it might be. The one thing he came to give, life. And if you haven't got life, all the arguments about dispensational truth leave you unmoved. Now, the word Christ is the word anointed. And the word anointed in the Old Testament means appointed. I'm not playing on words, but that's exactly its meaning the mere fact that oil was poured on a person's head, if, the, if it didn't mean anything, well, it doesn't mean anything. But it was a symbol of the anointing that he received of God. And there are three outstanding characters in the Old Testament, a prophet, a priest, and a king. And those who believe that Jesus is God's anointed prophet, priest, and king, have everlasting life. So there you've got the beginning and the ending of John's Gospel. I am the Messiah. Why is that necessary? Because he was sent, and he was anointed, and he was appointed as the way, the channel, the means of eternal life. Well now let's look at the central one. The one that comes in the 8th chapter. You'll be a little bit dazzled by that light on the board, you see. Light in the wrong place prevents you from seeing. You know that, don't you? And sometimes when I've been sitting in the open air doing a sketch, somebody won't believe that a tarred fence is very much lighter than a whitewashed wall in the shadow. But look at the blackboard fence with a light on it. Look at you and me with a light on it. What a difference it is between the two. Now, chapter 8, They're discussing with Christ. Verse 52. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. 
Isn't it extraordinary? In the presence of the Son of God. Now we know that thou hast the devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham? See, in the John 4, the woman said, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who built this well? Now, thou art thou or greater than Abraham? What's the opposition he had to be? Which is dead. And the prophets are dead. Who makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you, for I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, he was only just thirty-something. Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Now, he was an ordinary man who had lived all that time. He would have said, oh, before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was born, I was born. But he says something which is ungrammatical. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And not only that, this word was is the verb to become, which is differentiated from the verb to be. John's Gospel, the first verse says, and the word was, that's the verb to be, God. All things became through him. The difference between him and everything else. He was. That's timeless in that sense. All things else became. So he said, Abraham became. But I am. You see, they, 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 they couldn't pass that in an ordinary sentence. If any boy at school said a thing like that off his own, well, he'd get a mark through it. And he'd get a mark somewhere else, perhaps in some schools, I don't know. Now, was the Saviour making a slip in grammar? See, grammar is only true within its own environment. Grammar and logic are true if we're dealing with human beings. But the first verse of the Bible breaks a rule of grammar because we're not dealing with human beings. In the beginning, Elohim, plural, Created singular. The very first verse of the Bible has to break all true grammatical rules because it's not dealing with men. In logic, so far as man is concerned, that which never had a beginning cannot exist now. If I were to say to you, all oh, the very and forward movement never had a beginning, well, you say that's hopelessly impossible because it couldn't be now. But supposing we lift that out and speak about God. You say, God never had a beginning. Right. Well then according to your logic it cannot exist now. What are you going to do? Best leave it alone, isn't it? So here our Saviour, looking to them like a man who is not yet 50 years of age. He says, before Abraham came into being, I am. Now if he said that in any context it would be solemn. But to say that to a people of Jews who had the Bible, no wonder they picked up stones to stone him. For there's only... This alternative is in John's Gospel. You either eventually will side with those who pick up the stones or you'll side with Thomas who went down and said, My Lord and my God. There's no halfway between this. For any man to dare to say, I am, like that, was claiming deity. That's the revelation given to Moses in Egypt. I am, hath said thee. 
There is expanding in the name Jehovah. So now we've got, in the first case, I am the Messiah. But in the middle, something more than a Messiah that was sent and anointed. Something that goes back to the beginning of all time and creation, as it's claimed in the first verse. All things were made by him. Well now at the end, the last entry, is chapter 11, 25. And here, we have Lazarus, dead, buried, four days, the tomb sealed, hope gone. 11, 21. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. You can tell that they talked about that and said that because in verse 32 when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him she fell down at his feet saying unto him Lord if thou hadst been here my brother had not died our human there they were the two sisters and you could feel they said it over and over again oh why doesn't he come do you know why he didn't come he said he loved him but he said that's a bad way to show love oh, that's because we look like that he said, this is not, this is not unto death. This is for the glory of God. But you say, Lord, he died. Oh, yes, he died. But it's not in order that he may die. This is all taking place because it's in the scheme of things for the glory of God. In the ordinary way, it would have been a tragedy. But this is no ordinary way, is it? Have you ever heard anybody make the impossible claim? I am the resurrection and the life. Have you ever heard of a person standing in a cemetery with all the tombstones there and daring to say, I'm going to call that one out of his grave? Well, it's asking for ridicule, isn't it? It would be practically blasphemy. And yet, that's what takes place here. So shall we see. But Martha went on, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, he will give it thee. And it's one thing, you know, to say in the presence of God, I know that whatsoever, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee, because you might, God might take up the challenge. And the Lord took up the challenge. He said, immediately, Jesus said unto the, thy brother shall rise again. And then it looks as though she said, Yes, I know we'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She fell back on that. That's what all the Jews believed, to see if they believed anything. But he said, oh no, no Martha, I'm telling you something different. Jesus said unto her, I am, here it comes again, the resurrection and the life. They're words that are so full of meaning that it's almost impossible for us to evaluate them. For any ordinary man to stand up and say anything like it seems to be utterly impossible. And the daring to stand beside a tomb and say it. He didn't wait till he'd risen from the dead and then said it. He said it before. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever is living and believing in me, because there will be some living when the Lord returns. She'll never die. Believest thou this? And she said, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, 
the Son of the Living God. Well now, in between these, and I must go over these rather rapidly, because the first part of this little study is rapidly coming to a close, we have bread and light. He refers to the manna, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness of dead, I am the bread of life. And he says, I am the light, and if you follow me, you do not walk in darkness. So we have summed up in those two words the provision for your pilgrim journey. Bread was given in the wilderness and cloud by day, fire by night to lead them till they reached home. And Christ is all. Later on Paul says he's the rock out of which the water came in the wilderness. He fills the whole bill but there's enough there. And then when you get to another aspect, he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter, he shall go in and out and find pasture. You do know, don't you, it's an old story, that a visitor of Palestine, looking at one of these uh, compounds made up for a sheepfold, a low wall with an entrance, but no door in it. And he said to the shepherd, he said, where's the door? And do you know that man replied without knowing he quoted the scriptures? He turned to the man, he says, I am the door. I sleep there at night time. Nobody can go in and out apart from me. That's what our Saviour meant. Perfect protection. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. And one of the characteristics of the shepherd, even to this day, is to so be with those sheep, so train those sheep, that he could call one out by name and would come trotting to him. And as a lady been sitting in this chapel not many months ago, who was out in Palestine herself, and she stood by the shepherd and tried to make the same noises. He says, Woo-hoo! And she says, Woo-hoo! When he said it, the lamb, the sheep came up, and when she said it, it took not the slightest notice. It says here, My sheep hear my voice. You do not hear my voice because you are not my sheep. That's a solemn thing, friends, isn't it? Have you never come up against a person that seems so obdurate, or even though you open the book and quote it, means nothing to him? It may be. You don't judge. It may be. that there's the sorting out by the very word of God. Well, that brings us round the clock to the first 20 minutes, and so in order to make this easy for young people not to sit too long, we'll bring this aspect to a close, We'll sing a hymn, we'll pick up our theme again afterwards for the second 20 minutes of these short addresses to young people.